Let's uh, start our lesson for today. The title of the lesson today is, What is Real Freedom? Now let's start in John chapter 8, and look at verse number 30. The Bible says, Even as He spoke, that's Jesus, many put their faith in Him. So Jesus has been speaking, and several people actually put their faith in Him. They trusted Him. Look at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed Him, those who evidently had put their faith in Him, He said this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Interesting to me that as we talk about a generation of young professionals that are real, that there are a couple of times in this passage that Jesus actually brings out that, that concept of saying it versus it being real. There were several people who, verse 30 says, put their faith in Him. But Jesus says, if you continue in my teaching, then you're really my disciples. You may say you are, but here's the evidence that you really are. And He says here that if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. What will happen if you do that? The next verse, verse 32. Then, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You know, as I was reading this the other day, this being 4th of July weekend, and I was thinking about freedom and independence and all of that, well, I thought, what does the Bible say about that? Well, I came across this verse, obviously, because this is a very, very familiar verse to most people. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There have been songs written about it, all kinds of things. If I were to ask you, what does that really mean? What would you say? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What would you say that really meant? And if we were to go around the room, we would get several different answers. Um, I would venture to say that probably 70% of the answers would either be, I don't know, or a guess. Rather than, I fully understand what Jesus was talking about. The truth is, until I started studying it this past week, I really didn't fully understand what he was talking about. Now I do. But you know, the nice thing is, after he said it, there were a bunch of Jews there that were just like us. They didn't know what he meant either. So look at what they said in verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Now, what do you mean, Jesus, you're going to set, well, know the truth, and the truth will make us free. We're already free. I mean, we're not slaves to anybody. Now, we're, we're all Americans. Are you a slave to anybody? I mean, we don't live under socialistic rule. We don't live under communism. We don't live under that um, unitarian, totalitarianism, communist-type government. We don't live under that. I mean, we're, we're pretty much free, right? other than the basic laws we have to follow. I mean, we're, we're not in a socialistic society. Yet, these people said the same thing. But Jesus said, you're slaves and you need to be made free. So, evidently, there was something. He knew they didn't. So they said, you know, we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And you and I may be sitting here thinking the same thing. I mean, Jesus said, I'll know the truth, it'll make me free. Well, why do I need to be free? I'm not a slave to anything. 
Well, then Jesus replies in verse 34, and he answers that question. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Hey, now let me ask you a question. Ask us a question. Do we sin? Absolutely. Well, according to what Jesus said, if we sin, then we are slaves to sin. And we are slaves to sin as a result of the fact that we commit those sins. So, if that is what slavery is in the eyes of the Lord, and that's what he says we really need to be made free from, then do we all need to be made free in this aspect? Sure we do. So let's keep going, and I think you're going to see some very interesting things that will be very freeing as you understand the truth. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know what that word indeed means in the Greek? It means really. You will really be free. Thus, the title of our lesson What is real freedom? That's what Jesus is talking about. If he makes us free, then we are really free. That is real freedom in life. Okay? Now, what we want to do is we're going to go... Let me me finish reading. Look at verse 37. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me. Now, notice the next phrase. It's very important. Because you have no room for my word. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through our outline. We're going to talk about what is freedom and then what is real freedom. You know, we celebrate a lot of holidays here in America that a lot of us, especially me, just celebrate it. We don't really understand everything behind it. So I I thought, you know, every 4th of July we celebrate Independence Day and and that we are a free nation. And, And, you know, I used to think, well, I thought we were free because Christopher Columbus sailed his little boat with his little companion boats over here and he landed on some rock and had Thanksgiving dinner with a bunch of Indians and... We started our own country, and that's why we're free. And the truth is, that's not why we're free. That's not what we celebrate on July the 4th. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting, because July the 4th is an inferred date that actually some historians debate as to whether or not that was really the date that this major event happened. On July the 2nd, 1776, the Second Continental Congress got together and during the American Revolutionary War, by the way, we were fighting to be free from Britain. We sailed over here, but they followed us. We still had to answer to them. Well, we didn't want that. We wanted to be free. We wanted to be our own country. So that's what the Revolutionary War was all about. They followed us over here. We shot them up and sent them back. Decided we'd have our own country. We had to fight for that freedom. On July the 2nd, the Second Continental Congress actually wrote up the declaration that we will be a free nation. Thomas Jefferson and the others wrote what we now know as a description of how that would come about, known as the Declaration of Independence. Supposedly, that was signed two days later on July the 4th, 1776. That's why... We celebrate July the 4th as our Independence Day. That was the day they actually signed the document, according to most historians. The 
concept was actually created two days prior to that. So we were already in this motion. But let me read you this. I, I got this out of um, off the Internet, uh, out of the encyclopedia, and I thought it was interesting. John Adams, four days or a day earlier, the second they wrote it up, on July the 3rd, John Adams wrote this to his wife, Abigail. Here's what he said. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and, par and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. In that letter that he wrote to his wife, knowing what was about to be signed the next day, and had already taken place the day before, he says this, it ought to be celebrated throughout all generations and commemorated as a great day of deliverance. Well, what were we delivered from? We were delivered from the domination and, in essence, slavery to Britain. They told us what to do. We were obligated to them. July the 4th was our day as a nation of deliverance. We are now free to make our own decisions, to make our own laws, to govern our own people ourselves. But you know, there's a greater day of deliverance than that. We have millions and millions of people who live in this free country, commemorated every year on July the 4th, but yet not one day of their life have they ever really been free. And even today, as they celebrate their national deliverance, they're still not free. We have people every single day that you and I live who take their own lives because national freedom is not enough. We have people today in mental institutions from nervous breakdowns over levels of anxiety that they could not handle. Yet we live in a free country, but they're not free. So what is real freedom? Jesus describes it as freedom from sin. Freedom from slavery to sin. That's real freedom. Now let's talk about this for just a minute. The definition of freedom out of Webster's Dictionary is, and I've abbreviated it, it's simply this. It's the state of being free. It's the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice and action. In other words, I don't do what I do because I have to out of necessity. I am made to do it. I don't really want to do it. I don't like it. But I have to do it because I'm made to do it. I'm a slave. Or... It's described like this, liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of another. That's freedom. Now think about that relative to Christianity. 
and what Christ frees us from. He frees us from the necessity to have to keep the law in order to get to heaven. He frees me from the necessity of having to serve my sinful nature because I don't have the ability to do anything else. He frees me from all of that. Now, let's go into the second thing, which is really the crux and the meat of what we want to talk about today. And that is, what is real freedom? Well, let me give you several things. Number one, the definition of slavery is described by Jesus in John chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, when he says, slavery is that which comes as a result of our committing sin. We become a slave to sin. There are some other verses. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, and we don't have time to read that, the Bible teaches us, that whoever we surrender ourselves as servants to obey, that's whose servants we are. The word servant there is the Greek word doulos. It is also translated slave. So when I choose to listen to my sinful nature and give in to sin, which is, by the way, disobedience to God's Word, when I give in to sin and I obey sin as a choice, then I have become sin's slave. Now, I, I, hope, I want you to understand this because this is the foundation of everything we're going to talk about when we talk about how to really be free. Okay? Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, every human being needs this freedom. Everybody does. There is nobody exempt. Nobody is born with this freedom. We all have to get it from Christ. All right? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10 says that if we say that we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we all need it, okay? So first of all, that's the definition. I think we understand that. Sin is what brings us into slavery and robs us of our real freedom. Now look at the second thing. How does sin enslave us? Here's really the, the practical aspect of everything we're talking about. As we begin to talk through this, I hope you will begin to see areas even of my own life where sin really does have me locked up. And I'm not really as free as I could be. Number one, guilt. You ever felt guilty about something? Does it give you energy when you feel that way? Does it make you just really want to go out and do a lot of fun things? Can you remember when you were a kid and you disobeyed your mom and dad was at work? And you had to wait for dad to get home to get the real punishment. How was your day? Was it wonderful? Or were you miserable? Do you know there are people that literally make themselves physically sick because of guilt? Now you tell me, is that how a person who's really free ought to live? Or does that sound like someone who has been locked up in a jail cell of sin. Guilt. But through Christ, you don't have to be that way. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. He came to remove our guilt, to take it away. That's why the Bible says, If the Son makes us free, we are really free. Because He forgives us. We are going to continue to sin. But when Jesus forgives us, He really forgives us. We don't have to be guilty anymore. We can get up and do it better next time, knowing that if I don't do it better, all i got to do is ask Him. He'll forgive me again. 
He takes the guilt away. There's some other passages I've given you there. Psalm 51 and verse 3. You remember when David was confessing his sin? You know what one of the things he said was? Lord, my sin is ever before me. I am living daily with a burden of guilt I can't get rid of. Please take it away. Guilt will destroy our life. It is a prison cell that sin puts us in when we commit it. The second thing that sin does to enslave us is it creates condemnation with no hope. That's why Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Well, I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I just don't think I'm going to make it. I just don't think God could ever love me because of how bad I live. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, we don't ever have to live that way if we know Christ and we walk with Him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 13 is a very interesting verse. It's used a lot of times at funerals. I use it all the time when I'm talking to people during a time of losing a loved one. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says that we do not sorrow about our loved ones that have gone on before us. We do not sorrow like those who have no hope. Can you imagine what it would be like to have to sit at the funeral of someone you love with no hope of ever seeing them again? Ever. Well, without Christ... There is no hope. We feel condemned and judged all the time. That's a slave cell that we've been locked in because of sin. Number three, the absence of joy. Nehemiah said in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 to the children of Israel during their time of revival, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the absence of that joy literally saps us of our strength. In Psalm 51 and verse 12, when David prayed his prayer of confession, one of the things he asked for was for God to restore unto him the joy of his salvation. When you and I commit sin and live in the guilt of sin, it robs us of our joy. It makes us a slave to sin, and we are not free. Everything we do in our life is affected by that. We become its slave. Next, number four, anxiety and the absence of peace. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says that we're not to worry about anything, but by in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, in everything we're to let our requests be made known unto God. And then verse 7 says, the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard our heart and our mind. You know, more people today are destroyed by anxiety and worry than probably any other single thing in life. It destroys marriages. It destroys jobs, it destroys churches, it destroys lives, it causes people to commit suicide. I mean, it's a horrible thing. It's a prison cell that sin puts us in because we don't trust God. Next, it controls our decisions and it clouds our judgment. When we commit sin and we give in to it, we don't do what God's Word says, it begins to control our decisions and clouds our judgment. The passage I've given you in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, it talks about money and how it is the root of all evil. Now, what is the root of all evil? Is it money or is it our attitude towards money? It's our attitude. The love of money is the root of all evil. Paul talks to Timothy in that passage, and he talks about those whose main goal and desire in life is to be rich. 
materially to be rich. I would contend that this one specific jail cell of sin is destroying more lives in the United States of America than any other single thing. We are one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Our poverty level is the extreme rich level in 90% of the other countries of the world. Our poverty level. And yet, we're one of the most ungodly nations in the world. Because, partially, of our drive and our desire to be materially rich. Now, you stop and think about this. If you and I do not learn to manage our money the way God says, and in that passage in 1 Timothy, he say, he begins by saying godliness with contentment is a great accomplishment. Contentment is one of the greatest keys to not allowing material things to destroy our life. You know how many people have literally ruined their lives because of lack of contentment. They put themselves, for example, in mounds of debt. It destroyed their their physical possessions, they lost everything in bankruptcy. It destroys their marriages. Sometimes it even destroys their lives because of suicide. All started by Satan as he pointed his arrows at that part of our sinful nature that is susceptible to loving things. And according to James, he pulled us aside and he enticed us with it. And then we gave in, we committed the sin, and now we're in a mess. It's happening to everybody. That is not freedom. That is slavery to a covetous desire, which the Bible says is sin. Now, these are just a few of the ways sin, when it gets into our lives, makes us a slave, puts us in a prison, and robs us of our freedom. What would... If we did a series on this, what would we do? We would go through the Bible and find as many of these practical aspects of life as we can, and we'll go through and find out how does God say we overcome these? How does God say we get out of each of these prison cells? If I've been enslaved by guilt, how do I get out of that? If I've been enslaved by a love of money, how do I get out of that? So, And we may do that. But that's what we're talking about here. Let's look at these uh, last few things here. Back to John chapter 8. What is the source of our freedom? Well, John chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, the source of our freedom is Jesus. Without Him, we cannot be truly free. Okay? It begins with salvation, and then it continues when we listen to Him. The second thing I want you to see is the battle for our freedom. And again, we don't have time to read all these verses. I hope you'll do that. Um, if you'll read John 8, 34 and 36 and Galatians 5, 1, they will show you that Jesus is our only source of real freedom. Well, you know, there's a battle going on for our freedom. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, Paul talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit that takes place every day in our life. That is a battle for our freedom. That is the revolutionary wars and the civil wars and all the wars that have ever been fought for our freedom. That's the battle for our spiritual freedom. And when we lose that battle and the flesh wins and we give in to it, we lose our freedom. We become slaves again. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, and Romans 7, verses 21 through 25, Paul again addresses this battle and how severe it is. 
And as a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 7, Paul even talks about how he became a slave many times by losing this battle in his life. He says, the things I know and I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. Because within me, there is a law that when I want to do good, evil is present right there. It's that sin nature. So, there's a battle going on. And then, (coughs) the life of freedom. How do we actually get free from all these things? Now, all this is is a process. Um, We could spend months taking this process and applying it biblically to the different areas of our life. But let me give you the process. And you can take it yourself, study your Bible, and find the answers to whatever it is that you feel like has got you enslaved. Number one, it begins with salvation. The condemnation has got to be removed. And until we truly know we're born again, until we settle that, you're never really going to be free. You're always going to be worried about condemnation. Second of all, it continues and it's maintained when we live according to God's Word. You know, it's interesting. All of these are found in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4 talks about our freedom from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 14 talks about how we are kept free by living according to God's Word. And that's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. He said, the reason that you don't believe me, the reason that you're not my disciples, is because you don't believe my Word. And then finally, he says, one day, Romans 8, verses 18 through 23, our freedom will be totally complete. We'll never have to worry about it again when we get to heaven. Now, in theology, those three things talk about what we're saved from. First of all, we're saved from the penalty of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1 through 4. Second of all, we can be saved from the power of sin, from it enslaving us in this life. That's Romans 8, beginning in verse 5 and going down through verse 17. And then one day we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. We'll never have to worry about it again. And that's Romans 8, verses 18 through 23, and that happens when we get to heaven. But right now, we're in a battle for our freedom every day. And that battle is between us, the Spirit of God, and our flesh. And it's over one specific thing, our obedience to God's way of living. And so every day, it's imperative that we live like this. Let me give you one thing that I actually put under here. Uh, We don't have time to look at it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 23 and going down through chapter 11 and verse 1, Also, Galatians 5 and verse 13, there is a principle. Well, if I'm free, then that means I can do whatever I want to do. I can do whatever I want to do. If it feels good, do it. Because God will always forgive me. Here's the principle. My purpose in life governs my freedom. I am free, but I still have to live within certain rules in order to stay free. America is free, but we have laws. If we don't live within those laws, America one day will no longer be free. So there has to be something that governs our freedom. According to 1 Corinthians and Galatians 5, my purpose in life governs my freedom. Paul said, there are a lot of things that are okay for me to do. But they are not beneficial and they are not in line with my purpose in life. Therefore, I don't do them. Can I do them if I want to? Sure you can. 
Nobody's going to stop me. But it's not in line with my purpose. So real freedom is still governed by certain laws and principles. If I get outside God's laws and God's principles, then I go right back to being a slave to sin, and I'm no longer free. Okay? So that is a 10,000-foot view of Christian liberty and what real freedom is. Uh, Lord willing, sometime down the road, we'll take specifics and break them down, and we'll get into how you can actually apply this freedom in different areas of our life where we may struggle. Realizing now, we all struggle with different things. The principles are the same. The applications may be different. Okay? Uh, if you'll go through your, your personal application and the questions there and then read through some of the verses, uh, it'll help you with your small groups to kind of talk about that and maybe identify some of the areas in your own life where you're struggling and you can help each other find those answers. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ who truly makes us free. Lord, help us to understand that true freedom, real freedom, is freedom from sin dominating our lives. And the result of that freedom is an abundant life full of joy and peace. Lord, I pray for each of our folks this weekend as we celebrate our national freedom. May as Christians we also celebrate our spiritual freedom. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Give us a great week. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you, everybody.